Thank you, praise team. I think Bob, Pastor Bob, just preached on getting out of the boat last week. And uh, I don't know about you, but his message has really hit home to me. All three of the messages, they were three different messages. And, and uh, I want you to know that God's moving in my heart. And uh, you know, it's good to, to, to sit and listen and allow God to speak. Well, in, in, in the 80s, I was at Mid-America Nazarene College. We were not yet a university, so I'm sorry. I'm just college educated, not university educated. Um, I don't know what difference that makes. Somebody can explain that to me later. But uh, as a Mid-American, we, we had an independent basketball team. We, 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 and, and we were good. We were really, really good. Do you believe that? Say amen. Nobody believes that. We were really, we, we were good. And, and our name was PYT. Uh, which those of you who were born after the 70s do not realize, PYT was the name of a Michael Jackson song, which basically meant pretty young thing. And uh, don't judge me. I didn't name it, and it was the 80s, and all that stuff is under the blood, okay? But we were PYT, and we were really good. We were roommates. As a matter of fact, most of the team, we'd been in a youth group together. We'd played together since I'd been in eighth grade, and some of it had played together longer. And so we were, we were, we were really, really good. As a matter of fact, we beat the, the faculty 93 to 39. And, uh, and I hit a half-court shot at the end of the game. And it's, for those of you listening, it is not a good idea to beat your teachers 93 to 39. Because uh, the next week, I got a grade from a teacher, an F, on, and in the notes it said, keep working on your 50-foot shot. 50-foot shot, yeah. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. I, I wouldn't talk to the professor. He said it had nothing to do with the, the beating that we gave him. I still don't believe that's true. And so we were really good. We, we went undefeated. We went all the way to the, the championship game. We lost in the championship game to a bunch of bruisers that beat us and the refs. You know, the refs beat us. It wasn't us. Uh, that's right. We were good. And then the next year, we thought, okay, we're going to up this. And so we added the leading scorer in that, in that league. We added a coach. We added another big guy. And we thought, okay, this year, we are going to romp to the title. And we stunk. We were terrible. We were awful. You know why? We no longer played as a team. We, we were selfish. It was all about getting my points. And so everybody was about getting what they wanted. Selfishness, selfishness destroyed PYT. That's right. Have you ever been in a situation where selfishness destroyed an environment? Anybody ever been there? You ever been in a workplace where selfishness destroyed that workplace? You ever been on a team where selfishness destroyed that team? What, what, you ever been in a family? You ever had a friendship that was destroyed by selfishness? You know, you, you see it often on teams. You know, it's, it's not an unexpected thing to see this on teams. As a matter of fact, you watch almost any given Sunday. <laughs> uh, if you watch the Browns from year to year, well, boy, that was a needless shot, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, you guys okay today? Have I, everybody's kind of quiet. This summer we watched Antonio Brown completely destroy the Raiders or, or try to destroy the Raiders simply because of selfishness. 
And, and so we see this all the time. We, we see it with, in friendships and family and workplaces. We see it in our neighborhood. We sometimes see it in the church where selfishness destroys churches. Uh, you know, I, I don't see that a lot here, and, and I'm thankful I don't. And I, I don't think I've ever been part of a church where selfishness destroyed the church. But, but I've definitely heard the stories. And, and I think the phrase that I'm using to describe that is the phrase you see in the title of the series, meism. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not worshiping God. It's not worshiping anyone else. But it's simply worshiping myself. Meism damages relationships. And when we talk about meism damaging relationships, it's across the spectrum. Meism damages relationships in the public arena. So, so at work and at school, uh, meism will destroy public relationships. It destroys private relationships. And so family and friendships and church... As a matter of fact, some of the most hurtful things that happens in the church revolves around this ideal of meism. Meism isolates us from other people. And we talked about in the story, uh, into the flannel graph, we talked about uh, the story of Adam and Eve. And, and Adam and Eve were created, and they're in this perfect environment, and, and, and Eve takes the fruit, and Adam takes the fruit, and they eat the fruit because they want to be equal to God. They, that they're worshiping self. And, and really, the sin of Adam and Eve is the sin of meism. I'm going to be number one. As a matter of fact, most of the sins that we commit... <laughs> Or sins of meism, my way, my rights, and this sin of meism with Adam and Eve, it left their relationship with each other, uh, their relationship with God, broken, and that's that's the result of meism. It leaves relationship broken. Now, now this is not just a spiritual concept. You know, we can talk about it. You say, well, oh, well this, is, this is a message in a church, but, 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 but this is true throughout life, right? We understand this, that, that, that regardless of who you are and where you are, people will acknowledge that selfishness destroys relationships. It's, it's a universal truth. Selfishness will never build relationships. It only damages relationships. It destroys companies and sports teams and schools and families and friendships. When we seek to benefit only ourselves, we end up hurting ourselves. And so the truth is that that meism is the draw, but it's a draw to nothingness and emptiness and brokenness. See, see, God has more in mind for you and I than meism. And when God has more in mind than meism, it's not because God's trying to keep us from something, but God has more in mind than meism because God is smarter than us. Man, you got that was a weak amen for God is smarter than us. Let's try it like this God is smarter than the pastor. And God knows. That when we live only for ourselves, we'll destroy our relationship with Him and we'll destroy our relationship with others. And relationship is all that matters. 
So God has more in mind than me is in Ephesians chapter 3. And we'll be in Ephesians throughout this series in different parts. Chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit and your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power that has worked within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> I love this passage. And, and, and in fact, verse 20 if you participated in VBS, you'll recognize that verse 20 was the verse, the key verse in our VBS program. And, and I'm gonna, can, can, we, can we read this together, verses 20 and 21? I'm going to add 21. Can we read verses 20 and one, 21 together? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that has worked within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. The, the book of Ephesians, if you've not spent much time in the book of Ephesians, Eric, we've not done any Bible quizzing in the book of Ephesians yet, have we? Huh? You, you've done it, okay. Ephesians is one of those books that you need to spend some time in. <laughs> I would encourage you, uh, wherever you are in your, your Bible reading um, program, that you spend some time during this series and just saturate yourself with the book of Ephesians. In the book of Ephesians, although it's addressed to Ephesus and what we've got in our Bible, most scholars believe that it's a book that's written to many churches. It's not written to a particular church, but to the churches in Asia Minor. And the reason we have the one that says to Ephesus is because that's the only copy that survived. But more than likely, it's a letter to many churches. And Paul in this book does not address particular problems in that church, but he addresses God's vision for his church, how it should function. And so in this letter, we have these, these ideas that um, as I've read through them, and as I've studied and prayed over them, have just been almost electrifying. It's, you know, I've read the book, but, but, but I'm not sure if I've ever sat and read it chapter 1 to chapter 6 so many times over and over. It's rich. See, God has more in mind uh, for our personal lives. <laughs> Do you believe that this morning? You know, we believe in an optimistic grace. We don't believe God saves you and leaves you there, but we believe God wants to transform you. That God wants to change you from the inside out. Do you believe that this morning? See, see, we don't believe just in, a, in an in, in, in imputed um, righteousness that when Christ, God sees Christ, us, He sees Christ, although we do believe that. 
But we believe in an imparted righteousness that, that God wants to change us from the inside out. And He wants us not to just have this high ideal of having the mind of Jesus Christ, but He wants us to live with the mind of Jesus Christ. And, and He wants us to grow and grow until we become an image of Jesus that people, when they see us, they see God. That's, that's optimistic, right? But that's God's call in the book of, of Ephesians. He, he wants to transform you from the inside out. And He not only wants to transform us as individuals, but He wants to transform us as a church. You know, we're not a bad church. Say amen. You guys are extremely generous. You, you are givers and, and you serve and, and you care for your kids and, and you love your community. And, and, and the last I checked, I don't think we've had any fist fights in the foyer. You're a pretty good church. But I've just got this aching feeling that God's calling us to something more. That, that we've scratched the surface but God wants to do more in your lives and God wants to do more in the life of the church this church and you see this in the book of Ephesians Paul, Paul wanting the people to see that God has more in mind in Ephesians 1 18-20 it says I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inherit, inheritance in the saints, and His incomparable great power for those who believe. That power is like the working of His mighty strength, which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. <laughs> wow! This power that was at work in the resurrection of Jesus from death to life, He wants it to be at work in your life, in the life of our church. And, and this phrase that, that Paul uses, and, and I believe this is the only book Paul uses this phrase in, is in the heavenly realms or in the heavenlies. And it's a phrase connected with the state. a state. A state of being that is different for us, even though we're in this place, we can be in the state of in the heavenlies here and now. Later, earlier in Ephesians 1.3, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It says, it's bigger than us. It's bigger than meism. This isn't self-help. This isn't self-awareness. This isn't somehow lifting myself up by my bootstraps. This isn't positive thinking. Nothing wrong with positive thinking. I'd rather be around somebody that thought positively than someone that thought negatively. But, but this is more than that. It's that the, the God of the universe, the Creator God, wants to change His people he wants to change us as individuals, and He wants to change us as a community. And this state of the heavenlies, is, it's, it's, it's closely connected with this ideal of in Christ. As a matter of fact, oftentimes when you see this phrase, in the heavenlies, close before or close behind, the phrase that is included is in Christ. 
So there's this close connection with those ideals. And, and not only that, this ideal of in Christ and in the church. As a matter of fact, in the scripture that we read, glory to God in the church and Christ, there is this close connection between being in the heavenlies, being in Christ, and being in church. Now, that doesn't mean just being in the building, right? We understand that the church is more than a building. It's more than an organization. You know, just, just because we filed a not-for-profit corporation record with the, with the state of Ohio, it doesn't mean that we're a church necessarily. If we're not in Christ, we're not the church. It's more than a time that we gather. See, it's, it's not just, okay, well, I was in church because I was here at 9.15 on Sunday morning. It's something bigger. It's about being as a group, a community in Christ and, and the image of Christ being shaped in me, moving past me to more. See, see I believe the church is God's instrument to allow us to escape meism and live for something more, something greater. That, that God has ordained the church. Now our teens, we had 12 teens that, that went to NYC, and nine share on this video. We, we had uh, Skylar and Josh just didn't feel comfortable doing the video, and, and then uh, one of our young ladies, her family moved, uh, they moved after uh, they, they signed up for NYC, and so she's not part of this either. So we have nine testimonies. Uh, it's nine minutes. That's, can you guys stay awake for nine minutes? You've stayed awake for 17 minutes of this sermon, so I think you can do nine more minutes. I think it's important you hear what they have to say because they experienced the church, and they experienced the church because you supported them and you gave them money and made it possible for them to go. Go ahead and play the video. Give our hand, kids a hand. Don't you appreciate them? I saw Stretch last year too. He was awesome. Stretch, Stretch is a, a great presenter, great uh, preacher. Well, just a couple things as we, we try to, to close up. Uh, we, we've had some great conversations and staff and people as we've developed this, um, um, this sermon series. And we had a conversation, I don't know, uh, probably about a month ago. And we were talking about what the church was. And, and Bob Flint did a couple drawings. Go ahead and put that first one up. There, there, there's a couple ways you can look at church. One way you can look at church is there's this circle that we're inside the church. And then there's those that are outside the church. These represent people that, that maybe have not come to the same level of maturity or understanding that we have, that, that, that maybe there's some doubts or some struggles that they go through. What, what happens when you see the church like this is that oftentimes the, the church is not a safe place for questions. Uh, we lose people in their struggles, and we particularly use, lose young people in their struggles. Every church I've been at, including this church, has lost some because they did not feel safe to expose their weakness or their doubt. Um, that's a shame. Uh, the, the, the people that we are together around and help work through doubts don't feel safe to share those doubts. Uh, I want you to know, young people and older people, as your pastor, you can share where you are on your journey. 
that, that, that I want to walk with you through your questions. As a matter of fact, I don't, I don't want you to leave this place because you have questions. I want you to stay here with your questions so we can work through those things together. As a matter of fact, we, we, we tend to think what happens is when you lose them, we lose them because they take those questions to the world and the world does not point back to Jesus. Are, are we tracking? Are we tracking? Let me show you the second drawing. The other way to view the church is people moving towards Jesus. In this move towards Jesus, there's people on all sorts of positions on the path. That, that, that there's some people that are, are mature in their faith and they've served God a long time and they're well past some of these doubt questions or these faith questions. But the church also consists of people that are early on their journey, that they're trying to sort all these things out. This is the image of the church that I'm comfortable with. I'll just tell you, I, I'm comfortable with the ideal of a church being a place where people with all sorts of questions can come and in the bosom of the church be shaped and formed into the image of Jesus Christ. Um, is that uncomfortable? Yes, that is uncomfortable. Somebody give me a, somebody at least blink. This, is, this leads to messy things. This leads to being involved in people with messy lives. But, but I tell you, folks, if people cannot belong and grow in a church, I'm not sure if they can grow in Christ. See, see the church is not an assembly of the perfected. Instead, it is an assembly that is meant to perfect. That in the body of the church, these things that we do are not things that we do because we're finished or complete. But in doing these things, God begins to finish and complete His people. When we engage in service, when we receive the sacraments, when we sing, when we study, we, we do not do that because we're all that we want to be. Instead, we do these things because they're tools in which the church moves us more in the image of Jesus. That means a church, our church, should be made up of people all along the journey. And it's being part and being a part of the church that we're shaped into who we are to become. The church van, when I came to pastor this church, said, belong, believe, become. That, that was the language on the side of your church van. That, that wasn't my language, but it was your language. And I believe it's correct language. Because this is a place where you can be loved and belong wherever you are in the spiritual journey. Chuck Milhoff is famously has said in sermons that the hospital is meant to be for the sick. <laughs> that it's a place where the sick can come and find healing. I want you to know that wherever you are, whatever your questions are, you can have a place here and we will love you and disciple you. Now, now we're Wesleyan. And, and Wesley, uh, you know, we, we as Nazarenes tend, tend to... Um, to focus on his theology of entire sanctification. 
And I believe in entire sanctification, but Wesley was also very method-minded. Uh, he, he, he talked about the church, and he taught that the church and the, and the community of the church was that, that instrument that would form us into maturity. And, and he was very careful that people were part of the church. A, a private-only, crisis-only spirituality is not consistent with our Wesleyan roots. And I don't think it's God's desire for His people. A private crisis only discipleship can lead to a spirituality governed by our emotional swings. In other words, when, when my spiritual walk is determined by my private devotions only and my crisis moments at an altar where I'm not talking with anyone else, then oftentimes my sanctification, my maturity, my holiness becomes governed by my emotions. Whether, whether I was stirred up to feel good about myself. A discipleship that ignores private crisis events can become dry. In other words, if it's all about community, it's all about what other people say, then my, then my maturity can become dry. Discipleship which provides space for crisis, private crisis moments and community leads to stable maturity and growth. So what am I saying? You need the church. We need the church. The, the, the church is not something you add to your spirituality. The church is not, it's not something you add to your spirituality when all of a sudden you have everything together. But the church is God's instrument to allow us to be the holy vessels He intends us to be. So the question for the day is simple. Are you a part of the church? See, see it's possible to go to church without being a part of the church. Terry and I, when we were first married, were, she was attending Springdale. And, and so as a good husband would, I just attended church where she was attending. And so we were at Springdale Nazarene Church. Anybody familiar with Springdale Nazarene? It's a very strong church in southwest Ohio. Very, uh, Dr. Green was the pastor. And, and, and we set up, I, mean, jo I think Josh's family, for the most part, is at Springdale now. Terry and I set up in the balcony and observed. We were there. But we weren't there. And then we moved to Tri-County and we became a part of that church. So you, say, you can go to church and not be a part of a church. Over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to be part of a church. We'll, we'll talk about practices through which we participate as a body. We'll, we'll talk about communion. We'll, we'll talk about prayer. We'll talk about praise. We'll, we'll talk about uh, giving and serving, and sharing our stories, and hospitality. At the end of the, we'll, we'll talk about confession. That's a scary one, right? <laughs> At the end of the series, we're, we're going to have baptism, and, and it's November 24th, and let me know. If, if, if you want to be baptized, contact me. Put it on a card. Send me a text. Send me an email. We're going to do the family meal on 929 at 5, and we want you to be a part of that because I believe that's an instrument for us to be more in the church. 
Next week we're going to have a baby dedication at the beginning of the second service. We're going to do two babies. That's right. And, and so we're going to do them together and we're going to do it slightly different. And I would encourage you, I think you want to be part of this baby dedication. I know you're in the first service, but, but stay after Sunday school. As soon as the baby dedication's over, we'll let you go. We, we won't even take another offering Wait, okay, now, while you're here. I'd encourage you to be here. In this service, we're going to give you an all-in update. But throughout this series, we're, we're going to give you places that you can plug in. The, the practice for, for this week is a simple one. Presence. Being here. My uh, older brother Virgil pastored at Vandalia Church of the Nazarene and Art and Karen actually was part of that church for a while but his youngest daughter one, one time during revival, it may, have been a, a, it may have been a Dr. Purdue revival, I don't know but it was near the end of the revival and Virgil was saying, hey it's time to go to church and Julie famously said, church, church, church that's all we do. I'm just curious, how many in here would say when you grew up, you were there every time? And be honest, I, I kind of get a, you know, a gauge. Vote, okay? Let's, let's just practice first. Raise your arm, okay? About two-thirds of you can raise your arms, okay? Who would say when you grew up, you were a person that was in church every time the doors were opened? Okay? How many would say you, when you grew up, church really wasn't that big of a deal for your family? Would you raise your hands? We're about half and half. We're about half and half people that grew up like me that, that every time the church doors were open, we were there because church was open. God's trying to mold us into a people that love the church even though our perspectives and our backgrounds are different into people that love this place and love being with each other. Several years ago, I was a part of a church that went through purpose-driven life and, and Rick Warren in the beginning of the series encouraged people to be present during the series and, and in his video and, and he says you know what it means when someone says they'll be with you in spirit absolutely nothing <laughs> of course that's humor folks I understand even pastors take vacations isn't that right pastor Gene even pastors are gone occasionally so I understand that there's things that keep us from being here. You know, this isn't judgment. I don't think in my ministry I've ever preached a message that somehow you can never miss church and make it to heaven. I don't think that. But I do believe it's a priority. If the church is God's, if the church is God's mechanism to help me to escape meism and to live for something bigger, and that something bigger is a benefit not only to this body, to me as an individual, I think it should be high on our priority list to be here. Is that reasonable? Hebrews 10, 23-25 Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we are, may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Here's my practical application for you. Um, commit with me. I will arrange my schedule so I can gather with God's people. Ryan, come and give your all-in update, then Pastor Bob's going to close us in prayer.